Meaning you have a strategy. You have a, a plan for every situation. You may not execute that plan perfectly, but you've got an idea of everything that's coming along. This is what we do in this situation. This is how we behave this way because this is our end game. In your life, you're either playing checkers or you're playing chess. And the truth is you're playing on the same board. If you're taking notes today, our slipping away thought is this. You need a strategy for life. You need to have a strategy for life. Why? Well, God has a plan for every believer. God has a strategy. He has a plan. Uh, Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by God, and he delights in his way. God has a plan. Some would say the word purpose, whatever terminology you want. God has a plan for every believer. But with God's plan for every believer, there's also the other side, is that our enemy has a plan to destroy us. Hey, the first 1 Peter 5, 8 should shake you as a believer in Jesus Christ. And it says, be vigilant, be sober, have a plan. Because your adversary, the devil, he said, oh, Pastor Steve, surely you're such an intelligent, good-looking man. There's no way you believe in something as silly as Satan. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment. But let me just say this to you. Jesus believed in Satan. Jesus confronted Satan. And so if Jesus believes in Satan, I believe in Satan. Because your adversary, the devil, as a royal life, walketh about seeking to may devour. The moment you accepted Jesus as your Savior, Satan developed a plan to rob you of your joy, to steal the joy of your salvation. The moment you decided to get serious with Jesus and, and step out from just being a guy with a ticket to heaven, the day you made Jesus the Lord of your life, Satan had a plan to derail you. The day you dedicated your family or your life or your children to God, Satan has a plan to break up your marriage. Satan has a plan to destroy your family. Satan today has a plan to get your kids out of church. <coughs> With that in mind, which are you playing? Are you playing chess, chess checkers? And just reacting to whatever comes and whatever happens in your life. And you have no idea how you're going to raise your teenage son. You have no idea how you're going to protect your marriage in the future. You have no idea what's going to happen. You, you have no strategy. And this is interesting. Because many of you in here are executing it or have had or in the beginning of a retirement plan. Well, I'm going to have money from this 401k. And I've got my pension from... GM coming in here, we're going to do this, we're going to stay here, then we sell the big house, we take the profit, we flip this over, and I've got this, and this is what, and if I live to 90, I've got enough money, right? You have a plan for retirement, but do you have a spiritual plan? Do you have a plan? Well, I have a plan to pass on my, my possessions, and I have a will, and my debts. You know, you've got to have a will so the right people get your debts, right? But you have a plan for all of this. Do you have a plan to pass on Jesus to your grandchildren? This isn't in my notes, but I, I'm going to say this to you. I've said this to some of you individually, and I'll say this to you publicly. It's one of the worst things you could possibly do. This is my opinion. Feel free to disagree. The worst thing you can possibly do is to, on purpose, move away from your grandchildren. You say, well, it's cold in Michigan. I know. Have you not been here before? And I understand if you're a snowbird, I get that. And there's nothing wrong with going down to Florida when it's cold and doing things. But if your kids, your grandkids are in this area, you're going to give up the influence you have on them? Where's my friend Ed, Ed Cox? 
My friend Ed, I will say this about Ed. Uh, Ed is from Kentucky. Ed would probably rather live in Kentucky or North Carolina. Ed could do a lot of things. But Ed, Ed Cox's life is consumed with his grandkids. Go to ball games, take them fishing, is involved in his grandkids. You see, Ed could retire and have a life without salt and snow and sleet. And I get that. I don't blame anybody in here who goes away for the winter. That's cool. But he'd rather invest in his grandkids and put something into them because that window is short. Don't walk away from your grandkids. The grandfather I mentioned who I loved dearly was a huge impact on me. Why do I mention that? Because when they retired, they went back to Southern Indiana because it was as close as to Kentucky they could get. And I only got to see him two to three weeks out of the year. I wish I could have been raised seeing him every day. There's grandparents in here, you watch your grandbabies, you're involved in your grandkids' life, I'm gonna tell you something, you are my hero. Don't give up on them. You do whatever you can to have a spiritual influence. You have your will prepared, you have your retirement prepared, but have you had prepared your spiritual legacy in order to pass it on? Amen? There you go. So if you move away, we will judge you. Today, in all seriousness, I want to challenge you to be ready because Satan is going to attack you. He has a plan to destroy your life, to destroy your marriage, to get your kids. You say, well, Satan wants to get my son on heroin. Not necessarily. Satan just wants to get your son away from God. If he needs heroin, then he'll use heroin. If he needs to do materialism, he will do materialism. You need to be ready because difficult situations happen. Here's a little joke to kind of lighten the mood about a, a man who wasn't ready. A husband and wife are getting ready for bed. The wife is standing in front of a full-length mirror and taking a hard look at herself. You know, dear, she says, I look in the mirror and I see an old woman. My face is all wrinkled, my hair is gray, my shoulders are hunched over. I got fat legs and I got arms like that are flabby. She turns to her husband and says, well, tell me something positive to make me feel better about myself. He studies hard for a moment, thinks about it. Then he says with a soft, kind voice and says, well, there's nothing wrong with your eyesight. <laughs> Gentlemen, this was a man who was not ready, who did not have a plan for when that question came. That is not the answer for the question, is it, ladies? <laughs> Back to our message. 1 Samuel 21. David is beginning to slip away, we've seen. And he's not slipping away in a bar. David's not slipping away in a meth house or a crack house. David is right where he's supposed to be. He's in the right place and he's with the man of God. And yet he's still slipping away from God. And we looked at our first three topics about slipping away. And these three deal with us. Throw these up there, Greg. They deal with us and other people. This is checkers. This is reacting. And we said first that David, a spiritual life slipping away, first has leadership that was decaying in verse 1. And then we said number 2, a spiritual life slipping away, will choose excuse over opportunity in verse 2. And then last week we looked at that a spiritual life slipping away demands God meet their needs in verse 3. And verse, the second and three we're going to look at, the next part of this, is Satan's plan. It's his plan, and he is playing chess to pull us away. David has come to the hymn like we looked at last week, and he demanded that he give him the showbread from the tabernacle. Only the priests were supposed to eat it. 
And we looked last week at Mark chapter 2 where Jesus references this. And we said that it was okay for David to eat the bread. Listen, God is not interested in rules. God is interested in people. Yeah. Rules help people. But we said the problem with David was not that he ate the showbread. The problem with David was that he demanded that God act. And next to part today, we look at part four. We're going to focus on Satan today. And we're going to focus on how Satan is playing chess and his attempts. Number four, if you're taking notes, Satan convinces us to compromise. He convinces us to compromise. Look at verse four. And the priest answered David and said, there is no communion bread under my hand. Uh, there is no communion bread under my hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, I want to give you this thought. You can throw it up on the screen. Spiritual compromise is making anything more important than Jesus. Spiritual compromise is making anything more important than Jesus. You see, that thing, that thing can be sports. Well, it's more important that my son is involved in this sporting activity. It's more important that my daughter's a cheerleader. It's more important. That thing can be kids. Well, our kids are such a huge part of our life, and that's why we can't be active in church. And that's taking us. Listen, be very careful of the excuses you made for serving Jesus, because God has a way of removing those excuses. Well, family keeps us away, or the cottage up north, or our boat keeps us away, and we can't. Be careful of the things you make as an excuse to serve Jesus. And you know, sometimes, sometimes we really like religion. We like to make religion the thing that keeps us from serving Jesus. See, there's something inside every human being, isn't there, that just loves, loves religion. Because you get to judge other people. Religion is one of Satan's greatest tools. Because, see, religion gets you to take your eyes and your focus off Jesus and you suddenly put your focus on ourselves. One of Satan's greatest plans to stop a church is religion. A father heard a commotion out in his backyard. He looked outside and saw his daughter and several playmates in a heated quarrel. When he intervened, his daughter just looked back and said, Oh, Daddy, it's okay. We're just playing church. <laughs> you see, the first compromise Satan wants us to make is that we are more important than anything else. Self-centeredness. Because see, if your focus is on you, then you'll stop being about serving and reaching other people. People are not a burden. People are our ministry. I'll wait. People are not a burden. People are our ministry. Amen. This next week, we're going to spend money. We're going to turn on air conditioning during the week. We're going to have all this stuff out here. We're going to give away a lot of free things. We're going to run buses and pick up kids and bring them here. You say, Pastor Steve, that seems like a colossal waste of money and resources and manpower. Yeah, I guess if you're judging it by a spreadsheet, you're right. But that's not how we judge things. We judge things by reaching them to see little boys and girls accept Christ as their personal Savior. Amen. Our goal is not religion. Our goal is to reach the next generation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Number five. Spiritual life slipping away. Satan challenges our concept of sin. Look at verse five. This is silly. And David answered the priest and said to him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us. You understand what he's saying, this young guy, that he's... We're, we're going with him. 
about three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy, and the bread is in a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. Here's the question that I want to ask, and I'd like to ask this to David, but I'd like to ask anybody here. Where is this in the Bible? Where does it say, well, it's okay to eat the showbread as long as you haven't been physically intimate with a woman? Where is this in the Bible? There is no place. And if you can show me this in the Bible, I'll be glad to retract what I'm saying. Nowhere is this in the Bible. This is nothing more than religion. Man-made rules. If Satan can't get you out of church, and by the way, where is David? David is in the right place. If Satan can't get you out of church, he wants to confuse the issue with you. Nothing confuses the issue more than man-made rules of how we're supposed to dress and look and all these things that are not in the Bible. Ladies, just let me say this. This is not a problem in our church, but let me just say this to you. The Bible says that a woman is supposed to dress modestly. Amen? Now, how that looks on you and how I don't care if you wear pants. I don't care if you wear a dress to church. I don't care what you do. That is between you, your husband, your family, and whoever has to look at you. No, I mean, no, you and your husband and your family. Amen? That's between you. Your goal is modest, but religion says, well, modesty has, you know, you have to cover your knees because everybody knows knees are just the gateway to devil, you know, to lust. I have never seen a pair of bees that made me go, wow. I've never fully understand that bees are just it's like fingers. I don't get that. But anyway, if you're here and you're a knee man, get some help. Get some help. <laughs> Seriously, you're weird. But no, uh, just, kidding, just kidding. Just kidding. But the goal is modesty. Amen? We need to be very careful of making things that God doesn't talk about something that we're going to die on. Making it a big issue. Satan will try to confuse us right here in the place where we're supposed to be. Nowhere is this in the Bible where you can eat the bread as long as you avoid women. In fact, Paul will say this in Timothy. See if this sounds familiar. He kind of talks to Timothy. Be careful about religion, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. And what do these people do? Number three, forbidding to marry. Commanding to abstain from meats which God created to be received with thanksgiving and love. Right there, you see Paul referencing these people that Paul, Timothy, this young pastor. Be careful of these type of people who come up with these man-made crazy rules that aren't in the Bible. You see what happens here? You, you get involved in rules and you end up playing checkers. Well, here's the next thing that comes along, and we need to have a rule, and we need to banish that. Because, look, I don't have time every week to give you a list of rules of what you should or shouldn't do. Here's what you need to do. If you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit. Get on your knees and ask God to reveal you some of these things. Amen? You don't need my man-made rules. One of the things that I want to say is about Oakland Woods, maybe you're here and you've been thinking it, but thank you for not saying it. When we came up with our theme for BBS, and I showed it to some of the people, and I said, oh... Is somebody going to be upset because it's Star Wars? And George, George, went, I love George. George goes, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'll say this to you. I know some people that would get upset at Star Wars being the theme for BBS. Do you understand something? It's just a made-up story. It's just a goofy thing. You know what it is? It's just an excuse to get our kids' attention and to trick them to thinking that this is about gifts and fun and everything else. And when they're not paying attention, we're slipping Jesus in them. 
And they think they're going to be learning verses so that they can come up here and pick a big prize of Star Wars. That's not what we're doing. We are inadvertently slipping God's word into their heart, and then they think they got a prize. The real prize is God's word. Religion makes you play checkers. You start rationalizing your sin. Well, see, it's okay if I do this if I do it this way. It's okay to do it if you do it against certain people. You know, it's okay if you do bad things because those aren't the right people. You only have to do it. If you do it this way, you're okay. And if you do it, you know what? You can pay money and you can go ahead and do it and God will forgive you. That's religion. Satan is playing chess. If he can't get you out of church, he's going to confuse you. Number four. Number six. Spiritual life slipping away. Satan coaches us to give in. Look at it here in verse six. So the priest gave him hallowed bread. Okay to eat, not okay to demand. For there was no bread that, but the shallow uh, show bread that was taken from before the Lord. It, it's okay if you take the bread because you haven't been physically intimate with a woman lately. Where's that? To put hot bread in the day was taken away. Again, if you haven't put these references, Exodus 25, 30 and Leviticus 24, 5 through 9. You know the best part of movies? Nobody tell my mom I go. The best part of movies, quite frankly, because movies aren't really that good. The best part of movies are previews. You get to watch the preview. And this, my wife hates going with me because I'll watch the preview. And I feel since I paid money to sit there, I can offer commentary on the previews. <laughs> and so they'll show something, they'll go the whole thing, and it kind of gets quiet. And I'll go, that looks stupid. I love doing that when it's like that. So, Especially to some liberal actor or something. And they're going, oh, help Tom Cruise, you know, because he knew it's, I don't know. And they're going through it, and I don't get quiet. I'll be like, I'm not watching that, you know, and stuff. It is odd, because I don't do that at home with commercials, right? The commercial will come on, and I don't sit there at home and say, we're not buying that, you know, but that's nothing to do with my message. I'm just venting and stuff. But anyway, chapter 21 is a preview of something that's going to happen in David's life. Turn over here to 2 Samuel 11. The biggest sin in David's life is David and Bathsheba. I mean, even people who don't go to church, if you ask them about David, everybody knows David and Goliath pretty much. And if they've been around a little bit, they'll know David and Bathsheba. The biggest sin in David's life is David and Bathsheba. And the tactics that Satan used here in chapter 21, remember, you're playing checkers. Satan's got a strategy. He's going to put something in his David's life that is going to destroy David's life. Hundreds to thousands of people are going to die for what Satan has put in life. By the way, you're old enough, most of you here, right? If you know somebody who has a really bad habit, whether it be drinking or smoking or anything, you ask them, when did you start? When they were young, didn't they? I'm sure there might be somebody who started smoking when they were 50, but honestly, I don't know anybody who try, tries crack for the first time at 70. Right? Most people's bad habits start when? When they're young. Again, another reason why you shouldn't get married when you're young. That's a joke, but also a good point, because you make poor decisions when you're young. Amen? Yeah, some of you are sitting by him right now. But anyway, <laughs> Satan convinces us to compromise. Satan challenges our concept of sin, and Satan coaches us to get it. Now watch this play out in the worst event of David's life in 2 Samuel 11. Leave those up there, okay? Leave those up there. 
Uh, look what David does. David should be out fighting when Yaghi's at home. Number one, here's the compromise. And it came to pass, after the year had expired, a time uh, when kings go forth to battle. That's where David's supposed to be, but he makes a compromise. That David said, Joab, there's the compromise. I won't go. I'll just send my general. It's okay. You're supposed to be there, David. No, I'll just send somebody in my place. It's okay. And his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rehoboth. But David tarried still at Jerusalem. Satan convinces him to compromise. Now watch. Satan challenges our concept of sin. Here it comes. This is not the first time David is doing this in verse 2. Look, look. I know men. I know boys. I know old men. I know how they think. I am one. In case you're worried. This is not the first time David is looking at Bathsheba. Oh, you see, the very first time he looked at Bathsheba was an accident, and he was repulsed by the idea, and he was shocked, and he was like, I'm not a peeping Tom. That's not, I'm not going to do that. But you know what happened? The idea began to grow in his mind. Uh, gentlemen, I tell this to young boys, I'll tell it to old men now. There's nothing wrong with noticing a pretty girl. Amen? In your age group, there's nothing wrong with those and pretty girls. And I tell them, as I have guys go in, oh, I can't stop, you know, I see girls. And I'm like, good. God made you that way. You like girls. Amen. That's awesome. Girls are great. <laughs> nothing wrong with those and pretty girls. You know what's wrong? Is when that image or when that girl starts to fester in your mind and begins to grow. Right? Because it starts to grow in your mind and eventually gets to your heart and eventually comes out your hands and destroys your life. Nothing wrong with noticing an attractive female. David wasn't wrong for accidentally seeing Bathsheba. What he was wrong is he didn't take it to God and kill her. And he allowed it to grow. Because Satan is patient. He sets up a trap. He's five moves ahead. And he's waiting, waiting for you to come in. Not the first time this happens in verse 2. Here's the king of Israel being a peeping Tom. Verse 2. And it came to pass at evening time. That David arose off his bed, because he knew what he was doing, and walked upon the roof of the king's house. It's hot, and he's up at the top. And from the roof, he saw a woman washing himself, and the woman was okay looking. No, the woman was repulsive. No, the woman was very beautiful to look upon. Isn't it amazing how beautiful sin is? They tell our young people, and they put up billboards, and they make these bikini girls with beer and everything, and they show them, like, look how great beer is, and they never show the big, fat, sweaty guy with the beer belly. <laughs> they never show the police coming to a house. But listen, I don't, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you know the story, but I don't know anyone who's ever had the police call to their house because a husband went out of control because he was reading his Bible. Please show up, tear them apart. It's like, oh man, I just got so engrossed by the word of God. I got into Leviticus and went crazy and started hitting my wife. Nobody's ever does that. But, but the opposite is true. The beautifulness of sin is not on display. What do people do get called to the, our house? Please do get called because of beer and things like that. But yet we try to make it look so appealing, don't we? Amen? Stay with me. Most of our young people, maybe you're here today, you're at verse 2. Are you going to move on to verse 3? You saw something that was appealing. Okay, it, it doesn't have to be a woman and that type of physical thing. It could be money. Maybe that's your deal. Every person in here has a weakness. It could be pride. 
Uh, you are not going to ever let your daughter-in-law live down this because you were right and she was wrong. That's pride. It could be possess It could be anything. You've got a weakness. You know what it is. Are you going to give into it? Because the last thing Satan coaches us to give in. Look at verse three. And David sent inquired after the woman. Further steps. First noticing, not killing it. Now he's asking about her. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, the wife of Uriah? Isn't it amazing someone says this in it because he's the king? Uh, isn't this Uriah's wife, David? David, this is Uriah's wife. God, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you don't, God will put people in your way before you destroy your life. I might be that person today. If you're here and you have a good godly woman, nine times out of ten, it's her. You need to thank God if you have a woman who knows Jesus and loves her. Amen, ladies? She will keep you from doing a lot of silly things. And David sent messengers and took her. That's a great word there in the offering. He took her because it didn't belong to him. And she came unto him and lay with her. This is probably one of the very first Me Too movements right there. For she was purified from her uncleanliness, and she returned with her house. Days go by before she goes back. And what happened? Well, if you know physics and biology, this happened here in verse 5. And the woman conceived and said and told David this, I am with child. Be sure your sin will find you out. A little side note, no child is sin. No child is ever a mistake. Sometimes conception can be a mistake. Sometimes adults have poor plannings, but no child is ever a mistake. Amen? Amen. A child is a precious gift from God. And if you would like one, I have one to give away. <laughs> I have plenty of them to give away. You know, one of the great things about the internet, the great thing about, one of the things about the internet is you can get information. Like if there's a scam, you can search and look up and find out that the prince of Nigeria is really not emailing you, right? You have information at your fingertips and you can see what the enemy is doing. You can see what's wrong. and You can see these things that are going on. You don't have to Google Satan's attacks in your life. <laughs> How is Satan going to come after me, Pastor Steve? What's gonna, you don't have to Google it. It's right here. Because Satan keeps doing the same plays and the same plan time and time again. You know why? Because it keeps working. He's going to convince you to compromise, whether religion or something, priorities or something. He's going to challenge your concept of sin. It's really not that bad. It used to be bad, but, you know, times have changed. And it's okay to be involved in this. No, you know what? If it was wrong in the 50s, it's wrong today. Now, if it's something man-made rules, and then that changes and that comes and goes. But if God said one man and one woman forever, that was God's plan, and that's our goal. Amen? And he's going to coach you to give in. Don't go back to that church. Who is that preacher to tell you you're wrong? They told you you were a sinner. You don't need to listen to that. He's going to push you and push you. I worked this over with my wife. We talked about this. And I said, I, we did this. I said, what is our plan? And, and we came up with this. This is our plan. This is my plan about raising my family, about protecting my This is my own personal plan. Your family's a little different. Your situation's different. Your plan might look different. Maybe you'll have some of the exact same things. Or feel free to take this. Our first step is being active, have an active family in church. I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. You know why I'm here today? 
because my family made church a priority. So when I was a teenager, and when I wasn't sure about God, and when I wasn't sure that my parents knew what they were talking about, I had other men that my parents had put in my life who were major impact that I could go and talk to. Every person who made an impact, every man, by the way, who made an impact in my life, who I considered a hero pretty much, had one thing in common. They were all members of First Baptist of Washington where I grew up. You're here today and you're questioning, well, whether I should have my kids active in church. You are making a poor decision if you take your kids away from the family of God. They've got school, they've got TV, they've got internet, they've got all these things telling them horrible messages. And the church gets them for one hour or two hours just to tell them about Jesus. And you want to take that away. I'm going to tell you this to you. There is no guarantee if you raise your kids in church how they're necessarily going to turn out. But I can tell you what the guarantee if you don't raise your kids in church is going to be. Secondly, model consistency. Meaning, well, we're, we're on fire for Jesus this week, and the next week, eh, there might be something about, you know, it's okay now, but we got to go up north, and so we're going to skip out of church. Or, you know, football season's coming, Pastor Steve. Let, let me just say to you, for the whole hassle of football season, the Lions will lose. There, I've saved it to you. A whole bunch of time for some of you. You've got your whole fall ahead of you. It's beautiful. The trees change colors. Experience the fall. Anyways, model consistency. This is who we are. And then we said lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. Um, what I am in the pulpit is what I am at home. And some of you are thinking, no wonder you're kidding. No. You're going to come to church and amen Jesus, then you go home and use the same one, and you use profanity in front of your kids. You come to church and you shake everybody's hand and you say, oh, I'm an Easter. Happy Resurrection Sunday. And then you use the same hand to shake to make shady business deals. Lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. Look, my kids turn 18, I've told them this, you don't have to live in my house. You can go live anywhere you want. But you need to understand something, my money stays here in my house. You don't want to come to church? That's fine. Where are you going to live? You don't, you don't want to do this? You want to act? You want to drink beer? Oh, that's okay. I guess that's your choice. Who's paying your cell phone bill? And who's paying? My money comes with strings attached. My love is unconditional. You're foolish to give away your money to people who make bad choices. Amen? But I want you to understand something. My kids turn 18 and they leave. They make choices on their own. I can't stop them on that. But what I can do is they will never be able to say honestly to anybody, well, my parents acted this way at home and then said this way at church. We've made a decision where however we act in church is the way we're going to act at home. Lifestyle, lifestyle, lifestyle. And lastly, walls of protection. I get people that laugh at me about my rules and things that I'm doing and I... I try to avoid being alone in this building as much as I can with women I'm not married to. One time something was going on, and Gary and I, and I said, Gary, you're coming in with dinner, Gary. Gary, you're coming in with me. And I want to be, I, it doesn't look right that I'm alone. Where's your walls of protection? Hey, David, if David had a wall of protection, somebody who's watching him and looking out, you can't be trusted on the internet. Well, take the internet out of your house. Then. Get a protection thing. Get something that monitors you, that sends a list of websites you went to to your wife. Get something that sends a list of conversations you've had online to your husband. It's amazing how you will talk to somebody if your wife is in the room with you. It's amazing how you'll talk to that next guy that you used to date, remember 50 years ago, and he still has hair and your husband doesn't, and you're talking to him on Facebook, right? It's amazing how you will talk to that person if your wife is also in the, or your husband is also in the conversation, isn't it? 
You have no walls of protection and you're wondering why your marriage is going to fall apart. Amen? They say, well, my life's different than yours, Pastor Steve. Well, that's okay. I have different issues and different struggles. Okay, that's okay. Money's not a, a, a personal struggle with me. I'll just confess that. It's not a big issue with me. I'm not necessarily a more greedy person than anybody. It's just not a big deal. And being a preacher is really good that that's one not a problem for me. Money's not a problem for me and stuff. So I don't really have to monitor what I spend and stuff like that. But you know what? I have other issues I struggle with. I have other problems. You know, I'm, I love me some me. <coughs> I'm my favorite person. Nobody loves me more than me. I'm always on my mind. I'm always wondering how I'm doing, what I'm going to eat, what's going to happen to me, and how comfortable I'm going to be. And you know what? I have a wife who helps balance that out for me. <laughs> Do you have a plan? Satan's coming after your marriage. Wants nothing more than you and your husband get divorced. Wants nothing more than your kids to see a different lifestyle. You know the most dangerous things in here? The most dangerous things to your kids and your grandkids is to come in here and amen me and go out there and do the exact opposite. You will confuse your kids. You will confuse your grandkids. Do you have a plan? Because Satan's coming. I have been studying plans and studying the Civil War this week. You say, why? I don't know. I guess that makes me a nerd. I don't know. But I find the Civil War fascinating. One of the things that I have been studying is uh, Gettysburg. Because it took place around July 1st, 2nd, 3rd, a three-day battle. If you know anything about the battle, it's fascinating because this, the North attacked from the South and the South attacked from the North. It was just fun things like that. It was followed because the, the South was looking for shoes and stuff. I mean, just amazing things took place. But yet, in that simple battle, there's a small part of that battle that hinged. The America that we know hinged on one simple decision of a man. If the South had won Gettysburg, they wouldn't have won the war, but they probably would have held off the North because this was taking place on northern ground, and they could have stayed their own state, their own country for a while, and who knows, we could be divided even today, even more divided than we are. But there was a little part of that battle on a place called Little Round Top. And on July 20th, 1863, Thomas Lawrence Chamberlain was in charge of the 20th of Maine. They had been pushing back the Alabama regiments of the 15th and 47th. And there came the second day and they were running out. In fact, they, had, they were completely out of ammunition. But yet those Southerners were still coming. They had to keep that because it was the left flank. And if they lost that little round top, the South could have easily got a set up an armory and they could have blasted the Northern lines and they would, the entire battle would have been lost. And Lawrence Chamberlain, who was a teacher in his real life, took the 20th of Maine, and he was in charge of them. And he came up with this plan and this idea, and, and he called it the, the, uh, the, the Great Right Wheel. Basically, it's a swinging gate. His men were basically out of ammunition, and, and he took part of them, and he just swung them down the hill and the gate, and they charged the Southerners who were thinking their enemy was coming this way, and they came this way. And it was amazing because units of armed rebel soldiers surrendered to single Union soldiers who had no ammunition. 
And they were able to hold off the South, and they won it. And the next day is, of course, Pickett's charge and Lee's greatest mistake. And the North will win that battle and win that fight. And there's that great cemetery and President Lincoln's Gettysburg Address. This battle is why Lincoln won re-election. There's just so many things. But yet it all hindered on one man's plan, one man's decision not to give up. One man who decided to stop playing checkers and thought something through and developed a plan and charged and won the battle. Do you see what I'm saying? The enemy keeps coming. They come in waves. They come small. They come quickly. They come in big things. What is your plan for when the enemy attacks? If you've got nothing ready, you're going to fall into Satan's traps. You're going to fall into his plan. What's your plan today? You could very well be saving your grandchild's life. You could be very well saving your family's spiritual condition. What's your plan? It's, it's, it's not a super uplifting, positive, make you laugh, smile. It doesn't end with a little story of a boy and a puppy. But this is important today. Because the enemy's coming. You have a plan when he attacks? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Nobody looking around, just you and Jesus for a moment. Look, I know today is somewhat of a, a message of medicine. And medicine isn't always fun. But I promise you, if you listen today, if you take to heart, David didn't listen. He didn't stop this. He didn't have a plan. And in 20 years, his son will die because of this. Multiple sons. Thousands of people will die all because of the decisions he's making today. Do you have a plan for when the enemy attacks? Or do you just keep playing checkers? Reacting to situation to situation. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, these truths from your word are so important. And Lord, I realize that in this room there are people who have been saved for 50, 60, 70 years. But that doesn't mean we are immune 